I'm Cray Beaumont Flynn. Welcome to Beyond the Design, a show that gives you a peek behind the curtain of the design industry and shares the stories of those that are the driving force behind it. Well, welcome to Beyond the Design today. We have Charlie Dumay with Dumay Made. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Hi, thank you. Nice to be here. Go ahead and start and tell us a little bit about your story and Dumay Made. Okay. Um, Well, Dumay Made, we are a ceramic studio located in Litchfield, Connecticut. Uh, Litchfield is in the northwest corner, uh, close to the Berkshires. And near nothing else. Uh, it uh, a lot of creative space then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, not a lot of distraction. Um, so uh, I was an architectural lighting designer uh, for about seventeen years before I started this company. My husband and I started this company as a side business. Um, it was really just a hobby. Um, when, when we were dating, we took some drawing classes in the city at the museum of natural history. It was a, uh, like just a romantic thing to do creatively. Um, and inside of a business plan at that point, huh? (laughs) No, no, I was not going to become a fine artist drawing the archives of the Museum of Natural History. Uh, but um, after that, we decided to take a pottery class at Greenwich House in the city. And that was the last class we took together. <laughs> uh, I had dabbled in ceramics in college, mostly wheel. And that's the class we took together. And, uh, you know, I think Kevin made an ashtray after eight weeks. And I had a collection of vessels after one class. And uh, he was impressed, but said he'd never take another class with me again. Uh, So fast forward, we're about to get married. And uh, as a gift, he bought me a hand building class on the Upper East Side near our apartment. And uh, after we got married, I took that class and just fell in love with hand building. Um, The uh, type of hand building that we do in our studio is slab construction, which means that we just roll flat sheets of clay and then either build templates or build them around forms and in a more architectural way, build our pieces. Um, It's kind of nice because it speaks to my background as an interior designer. Uh, That's what I studied at college. And, uh, you know, it's a very methodical um, process. Wheel throwing is amazing, and I love that process. But as a Virgo and a complete perfectionist and someone who doesn't tend to relax, uh, 
it's not very easy for me to get in the zone of uh, the Zen zone of wheel throwing. Um, so, so yeah, we uh, got married. I was dabbling in ceramics. We had been living in a studio apartment on the Upper East Side and got a dog. And we're like, we need some space. So we found a little place in Litchfield, Connecticut, uh, like renovated for a while. Once the dust settled, I started the pottery again, turned our garage into a little like finishing studio and just started making stuff. Uh, Kevin is an interior designer and he was my sort of art director. He would kind of flag pieces he wanted to keep for himself. And then, and he still does. I mean, I can't, every time we make something, he's like, is this for me? Uh, I gotta have, uh, so, uh, he started using them as accessories on his uh, photo shoots. Then his clients started buying them. And um, Wendy Goodman uh, had reached out to Kevin about a blog post. It was something silly like, what does every room need? Um, and I said to Kevin jokingly, what about a piece of our pottery? And he was like, well, we don't have a website. We don't have an Instagram. How are people going to see it? So in 24 hours, I put up an Instagram. I put up a website that was like coming soon. Um, and then a week after the article went live, First Dibs contacted us because they were opening their um like contemporary design uh, sort of uh, department. Prior to that, it was really antiques and vintage. And so we were one of the first makers to go on there selling new product. Well, it's all about timing, being at the right place at the right yeah, time. It, it really is. It was, timing has been really funny. That was a really interesting time. I was so thrilled that I was able to sell enough pottery to pay for my studio space on the Upper East Side. And I think I imagined that that's all it would be. Um, and then the pandemic happened and we had grown out of our little garage studio found a space in Bantam, which is a small neighborhood of, of Litchfield. And we found this great space. We were spending more time in Connecticut and Kevin, we built a little office for him, a little showroom. And we just like puttered around the studio barefoot on the weekends. It was really lovely. Um, and when the pandemic happened, I decided to leave my position as principal of a large architectural lighting design firm. Uh, we had a 
sister office in Los Angeles, our flagship in the city. And it just felt like the right time. And Kevin and I, for a year, just went back and forth from the house to the studio and made stuff. And, and it, ju- <laughs> yes. it just... That was your first collection, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was our first collection. Uh, you know, we had a little bit of legacy product that was just floating around on our website, but we really kind of hunkered down and figured out the logistics. Um, and we got a lot of attention, which was really shocking during the pandemic. Um, and since then, we've quadrupled our square footage in the studio. So we started off with about 900 square feet. Now we're at about 4,000. And I have a team of five. And uh, yeah, we just launched uh, three new collections at ICFF in Manhattan. We were a part of Wanted Design, which is a sort of smaller group within the umbrella of ICFF. And we uh, debuted some furniture, tables, mirrors, folding screens. uh, And yeah, it's pretty wild. So... From your little class that you took with your partner, Kevin, to (laughs) now, (laughs) um, are you surprised at now this is something that you're doing full-time creatively? You know, you're creating your craft that you learned about, but it's also incorporating, I guess, your educational background as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting to have a career that spans quite a large portion of my life um, that was lighting design. And then to go into something that's product design, um, I think what's really interesting is that I was always in love with building and making and I, for some, somehow I thought interior design was, was a medium that would combine aspects of, of all of these things I was interested in. And when I graduated from Pratt, I started working for an architect who had this like obsession with patterns. And so he would fill countless little moleskin notebooks with these patterns. And I would have to draw them to scale and then cut them out of paper. And I think I know who you're talking about. I used to live (laughs) in New York. So yeah. (laughs) Um, And I mean, he was a brilliant architect, but also a brilliant sort of pattern designer. 
And there were weeks I would just cut these patterns out of oak tag and then kind of tab and fold and make these really beautiful sculptural lampshades. Mm-hmm. Um, he had this idea that if he could design the right pattern and ship it flat, then and the end user could fold it and make this beautiful like sculptural form that could fit around any old light. Um, and so, yeah, that's what kind of led me to lighting design because I didn't really know that that was a thing. Um, and I uh, always loved the product aspect of it and the, the conceptual nature of that. Um, and so I think it's really interesting that I took this class in college as a requirement mm-hmm. to make pottery. And that's what the class was. And though I loved it at the time, I didn't really see a tie-in to like the greater you know, aspect of interior design or things like that. Right. And I'm not sure that 20 years ago there was a real tie-in the way that there is now. Right. But it's really interesting now doing something that was while I went co- while I was in college, this like glimmer of hope. <laughs> it was like drawing things two-dimensionally, imagining hypothetical space, never seeing anything realized, then working in lighting design for 17 years and it taking months, sometimes years, for a project to come out of the computer screen and into life. and then to be able to sit down and make something in a couple hours. Has, yeah. yeah. So are you still getting, I mean, I've taken one pottery throwing clay class by myself, not with my partner. Um, <laughs> uh, are you still getting your hands dirty and creating stuff uh, specifically yeah. just yourself? Yeah. Oh, just myself. Occasionally, you know, I, it's, it's funny now because before I had a team, the studio really was in a way my sanctuary. I was here alone a lot in the summers. It was really hot and Kevin would refuse to come here. So there was a lot of time where I could be creative as I was making products for clients. Now, it's really about organizing my time to allow myself that time to do that. So now I find myself drawing a lot more and uh, reading and, and doing other things that, that can help feed that creative energy. Um, but yes, I mean, it's, it's a little less romantic now. It's a little bit more business 
but it's still really satisfying. So do all the products that are created come from you or do you, do you work collectively with your team? So I design almost all of the products. When we start a collection, we kind of work on it together on the build end of things. And then I have an amazing team. Claire Chapman is my sort of production coordinator. So it's sort of like our dynamic is like when I say why, Claire says, why not? <laughs> you know, so it's really, it's a great relationship. We are able to like use my experience her experience, which is much more um, academic because she studied this and worked in ceramics probably from a teenager on. Um, so we kind of all work together on the beginning of something. And then my involvement as things are getting built is more of a QC, making sure that things are you know, seams are clean and things like that. And then once it gets to the glazing process, I do all of the glazing. So it's really a collaborative process. When you start creating those pieces, do you build uh, models first to make sure that the components are right to scale and what you really yes. envisioned? Uh, it depends. But generally, we start off with maquettes. Um, you can probably see some behind me. me. Yep. <laughs> um, it's so much easier to imagine a piece three-dimensionally. It's very hard to draw a lot of these things. But normally, it starts off as a little sketch, then a tiny maquette. And then we blow it up. And so we kind of use all of these different mediums, the illustrations, and then the maquettes and full-scale mock-ups to test construction, test scale, relationship, and then glazing. Um, and it's really interesting. A lot of times, the maquettes work because they're such a small scale and then once you blow it up it becomes quite unwieldy yeah, and you're like oh my gosh we have to rethink this or let it kind of do what it wants to do um, um, so from 900 square feet to 4,000 square feet that's quite a growth <laughs> so you do everything yeah, in-house yeah. we do everything in-house so we Started off with one kiln. Now we have four. Our workroom is on the top floor. Um, so we have a thousand square foot build room where we do all of the clay work. Then we have an annex that houses all of our templates. That's where we glaze. 
and then we have a small office, and then we have another like 12 or 1500 square foot wiring and shipping studio. So we source all of our clay from Sheffield, Massachusetts, uh, the Berkshires. And then that's also where we get our glazes and a lot of our materials. All of the wiring components for our lamps come from Connecticut as well. We try to use everything locally. We work with local metalsmiths to do any of the, the steel work for our tables or screens. And we work with a craftsman that's local that does our mirrors, our mirror backing. Um, it's a really, it's, it's really great. Almost everybody is about an hour away. And uh, yeah, and then we also, within the studio, have a showroom. So that's where we stage our pieces, photograph them, and then host events, sales things like that. So starting from just a clay product, how has your collection grown and where do you see it growing in the next <sighs> year, two years? Uh, well, we're figuring that out now. Uh, when we started, yes, we, we kind of, you know, uh, when we started, we had a small collection of accessories, because that's what really started the brand. It was a vase, it was a candlestick, and a tray. And so within that, we've grown that offering exponentially. So we annually change our like offerings for accessories. We started off with three lamps and now i think we have over 70 on our website more claire's giving me a thumbs up uh, and we have floor lamps pendants sconces we're moving into tables we just debuted folding screens and so i think that the how it's grown it's it's been really interesting we've We've grown the collection as a response to the feedback that we've gotten from our partners, collaborators, and customers. We might have an interior designer come to the studio and see a table, uh, a lamp base, and say, that would make a great table. Then they come back and we said, well, we made you a table. Uh, and so that's, that's how it's grown organically, I think that ICFF and Wanted Design was a chance for us this year to really plan out where we want to see our offering go, where it's not necessarily a direct response to reactions we're getting from the industry. It's more like trying to prove to the industry what we can do and um, and where we can go so I think 
going forward, our focus for the next year, two years, and whatnot is to find interesting partners to create specialty bespoke collections for in addition to offering our own. You know, I think that we, we this past year, started moving into wholesale agreements and working with partners. You know, we're, we're on the expert now. We're talking to various designers. And I think what I want to do with them is make something with them that's only available through their outlets so that we can maintain a sort of exclusivity to the user experience of coming through our site and then making these collaborations something more special. I think what I always, or what I don't love about a lot of designers that have their own sites and sell through platforms like First Dibs is that you can get the same product on both platforms. And so it doesn't really tell, in my mind, it, it doesn't really tell a story. It's just, it's just about giving your product everywhere. And what I want to do or what we want to do is make sure that the that whatever outlet it is that you're seeing our product within is special to that outlet. Yeah, it's creating more of a legacy piece instead of mass production and finding it everywhere. Yeah, exactly. That said, if Target came to us <laughs> and you know we'd consider it, but it would be to maybe at a target or whatever. Uh, but so are you um, only available through the wholesale market? No, our, so prior to the pandemic, our website was by inquiry. We did a big investment over the course of the pandemic to make it shoppable. So we have inventory, in stock on our website, and then you can order pieces. We mostly make everything to order. And 98, 99% of our customer base is trade. So our website is shoppable. There are shops that we wholesale to that our products are available within. We have just launched an exclusive line of products with a shop in Sag Harbor called 1818 Collective. Um, Annalise Taft and Kristen Fine are the owners, designers. Um, they're our favorite cheerleaders. They are, and we couldn't ask for better for a better pair, um, but they've been really encouraging. 
they started out wholesaling in stock inventory and then we just designed a custom collection just for them and that was really fun so again there are a few shops we have um, a selection of pieces a large selection at Christian Siriano's store in Westport Collective West and then we are represented by Fair in New York City which is Brad Ford's showroom and we are sort of finalizing some other some other agreements collaborations but and then if you'd like to come to our space you can shop here uh in litchfield uh, connecticut so you do have a yes. showroom that's uh off the floor product for people to purchase yes yes and do you do commission work yes so oh so you know the way that because trade is our biggest client um, even if they're ordering something off of our website they typically modify it they want it an inch taller uh, you know they get very specific but um, Alexandra Champalamo is a friend um, who also lives or has a home in, in Litchfield, Connecticut. And as an architectural lighting designer, I had worked a lot with her company and I worked with her son, Anthony, when he was opening Troutbeck, which is an inn in Amenia, New York. And Alexandra contacted me a little over a year ago about doing our country club here in Litchfield. And so I was commissioned to do a series of sconces, a pendant, and some accessories. Uh, and that kind of led into a larger project that we just finished with them in Las Vegas. It's a private club. And they came to us and said, we need a dozen or more vases. Can you do that? And we said, sure, it's a vase. That's easy. And they're like, 30 inches tall? And I was like, oh, okay. That's a little more challenging. So, but we did it. We figured out a way to make them as components and piece them together. And with pretty disparate direction, just some images and color palettes and a lot of chats, we made a pretty diverse collection for them. Um, and after ICFF, we've, you know, we debuted a pendant there and now we're getting a lot of requests for like larger, more complicated or challenging uh, pendants and things like that. And uh, and then there's there's lamps, you know, that's sort of our bread and butter. A lot of designers will come to us 
with imagery or um, you know even drawings and whatnot and say you know we we really love this vintage piece or we really love this piece of yours but can you make it three times as big for a third of the costs <laughs> yeah <laughs> So is there a signature piece that you could say that's a Zemei signature piece? Or does Kevin have them all in his own personal collection? I think, oh, our signature piece. Well, there are, there are four lamps that we started with, or like that became our legacy product that we still make pretty consistently. And that's, we call it our Juliet lamp, which has a signature rolled pattern in it. It looks almost like a waffle texture. It's an antique Swedish cracker pin that I found and I just love the texture. And then we have the Litchfield lamp, which is a is a triangular lamp that, you know, if you've ever come to Litchfield, it's very New England, white church steeples. Um, and then we have <laughs> uh, the Washington lamp, which is a kind of big, large box. And then the New Preston lamp, which is a small rectangle. And that's really, that's really the lamp that started it all. Um, Kevin and I were at Plain Goods, which is a beautiful store in New Preston. And there was this lamp that was an antique Japanese ceramic piece mounted to a wood base. Essentially, it was just a small ceramic rectangle. And I said to Kevin, I'm like, that's really beautiful. And he just sort of flippantly was like, you can make that. And so um, I did not make that. I could not make that. But that version of that became our first lamp. Do you think you take and challenges or risk in your design? I think so. Yeah, it's, I think I would take less if I didn't have such a good team. Um, I know what my capabilities are. And as a self-taught ceramicist, um, I tend to err on, the, I try to be a little bit more modest with the complexity of what we can do. But I, I know that we have enough products that we've made over the course of the past few years that we really understand the ceramic construction of things. And now that we have this larger team around us that we're collaborating with on 
metalwork and woodwork, um, I think that there are a lot more risks that we can take. And it's not, not just necessarily a risk of what the complexity of a piece is, it can also be a risk in the quantity of pieces. Um, during the pandemic, um, Worksted contacted us about doing a hotel. We had two kilns and they wanted 80 plus lamps. We did it. And they also wanted mirrors, which we had never done. But I think that, you know, having, you know, Kevin's, you know, as an interior designer who's worked with hundreds of vendors and craftspeople, I think that he really understands expectations and the management of expectations. And I think that you can take risk, but you have to manage expectations. And I think that that's a lesson I've learned and really try to keep in mind. Um, but, you know, having Kevin there as a sounding board, you know, how do we pack? How do we promise? How do we communicate? Um, that's been amazing. And then having the support of a larger team makes so much seem possible that never seems possible. Take some of the weight off your shoulders, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. 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 Having some Virgos in there is a really helpful. Hey, you got to have mix. a few Tauruses in there mixed up. Sure. Yes. I think, yes, we do. Yes. Kevin's a Pisces. So it's, it's uh, so the the process, tell us a little bit about the process of design to completion. So the design typically begins with a sketch. I generally will pull some inspiration, um, and that can be anything from uh, a postcard or a snapshot. We went to Paris in November and went to the flea market. I had never been. Kevin hadn't been since he was much younger. Um, and I, we saw so much there that, you know, we had like four days or five days in Paris. And we were there for, for one day we went to the flea market but then decided to go back for two more days because there was just so much to see. It's overwhelming. Um, it's overwhelming, but also so civilized. <laughs> In a lot of ways, the collections that we launched for ICFF uh, began at the flea market. I had started to read about a French ceramicist and joy designer, Mithea Speltz, and I loved her pieces. We got coffee on the first day at the flea market and walked out the door and there was an entire booth of her mirrors and 
And it was just so impressive. And the woman that ran the shop used to work for the artist. And she like took us upstairs into her lair. And there were stacks of mirrors and little ashtrays and vessels. And it was just so special. Um, and so that happens a lot. And I think in particular after the pandemic where the only thing, that the only way that you would see anything was through social media, um, I was just so excited to see things in person. Um, went to the Picasso Museum and we just kind of absorbed. And so in particular, that all started as as just seeing things. We came back, started pouring through books, books that I've had forever. Um, and then like drawing lines between, you know, what we just saw, things that we've loved for a really long time, and then started sketching. And that's how a collection ultimately, I mean, I would love for every collection to start with a European holiday. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's, it's just seeing a hubcap or I don't know what it is, but we sketch it, then I draw it to scale, and then we make it, whether it's like a tiny maquette or we make it full scale, and then we kind of workshop it. We like look at it, decide whether it's a form factor we want to continue with. Um, but again, it's, it's a flat sheet of clay. Um, our process is really that we roll the sheets of clay and then we create templates. So we cut out the pattern and then we typically form it 24 hours later so that the clay dries a bit and has a bit more structural integrity. Then we build it. It sits wrapped for a week or two to slow dry um, to prevent cracks or seams opening. In particular with hand-built slab pottery, you want to make sure that it's a slow dry. Um, the time of year, time of day, all affects how the clay dries and seals. Um, winters are really tough. It's dry. It's hot. It's, it's brutal. Uh, the sun's lower, so it's, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, summers, I oddly, takes twice as long for things to dry because it's so humid. In any event, we then bisque fire it, which is the first stage of firing to get it from its most fragile state closer to stoneware. And then we glaze it and glaze fire it. So that's kind of the, the life of a piece. Um, 
And then once it's glaze fired, we either wire it or do whatever we need to to finish it. Um, and then sometimes it gets all the way through that process. And we're like, or I'm like, I don't think I like it. <laughs> um, so then sometimes it'll sit on a shelf. We put a lampshade on it. And all of a sudden, it makes sense. Um, and uh, other times, there's lots of happy accidents, you know. So like, uh, we'll make a piece that's comprised of multiple components. One of the components won't end up la for, like lasting through the firing, and then we'll like stack a few things and realize that that's a really beautiful lamp. And uh, that's a really fun, you know, experience as well. It's a little bit more wabi-sabi. Um, but that's probably a third of, of what you would see on our website are these kind of happy accidents um, where we started out with a vision of what a piece would be. And then, you know, as Clay often does, it kind of tells you what it wants to be. Um, and so that's also a really interesting aspect of the type of work that we do. Are there any pieces that you're personally proud of? I'm, I, I think that the screens that we just debuted are, that is something that I'm really impressed that we were able to execute. It wasn't easy, but, you know, it was the first time we were working with incorporating another material, which was steel. Um, and it was also the first time we were working with underglaze. So there's traditional glaze and then underglaze. Underglaze is mostly clay, but has some glaze within it. So the beauty of underglaze is that you can put it, you can apply it onto the clay before it's fired at all. So while it's in the greenware state, and then it can actually sit on the kiln shelf through the glaze firing without melting to the shelf. So it was really interesting when we started thinking about screens because, you know, with a screen, there's traditionally a front and a back. And I didn't want the back to feel like it wasn't considered. So we worked with this underglaze and were able to apply this really striking color on the entire like rear face of the screen. And you know, in some ways it's even more impressive to me. <laughs> than the front of the screen. But it was 
you know, the, the process of doing that particular piece was a huge learning curve. Uh, and, you know, it's, we transporting it and like figuring out all of those things was, was really interesting. And I think that's, I think that was probably the most challenging thing we've done, which, you know, I'm, I'm quite proud of that we were able to do. Um, but to be honest, like there, there are things that happen every month that I'm just as impressed by, um, like making a huge bowl, um, someone wanted like a half dome pendant, which as a hand builder, you can't really do unless you create a form. So, you know, Claire was like, let's just make a big plaster mold. So, uh, you know, it's sort of seeing someone else's enthusiasm and experience and expertise and skill set inform the things that we can do that, with my experience, we wouldn't be able to do. Are you know it might not be the most Im impressive piece, but the the fact that we could do it is really impressive to me. So what inspires and motivates you as a creative, a creative person? What inspires me and motivates me? Um, I, I think it's a, like, like I said, it's, it's a little bit of everything. I'm, I, as a, just personally, professionally, I, am always moving and making and, you know, it's, I, I kind of always want to be thinking of what the next thing is that we're doing. Um, and I think that I'm inspired by so much. It, it's like, nature, it's industry, it's just other artists, other designers. It's the designers that reach out to us and it's the feedback and a large part of it now is the team. You know, when you're, it's easy to not be motivated. <laughs> when it's just you and your husband, your partner that you have to, or whoever, you know, have to worry about. But once you start to build a team and, and realize that there's something greater out there than you and your vision, that motivates me even more to want to make more, to expand, um, because it's, I think it's important to me that like this isn't just about 
Kevin and me and us. It's about like what the greater thing is that we're making. Yes, exactly. You know, I want, um, we've been really lucky to attract such talented, creative, and lovely people. And it's, and I want to keep them, and I want them to grow, and I want them to have a stake in what it is that we're making. Is, is there a domain-made design aesthetic in your pieces? That's really, yeah, that's a really good question. Yes. Yes, there is. I think that there's an honesty to the construction. So part of the aesthetic is, you know, our seams as much as possible are exposed. That is not, that is not something that is like exclusive to us. There are a lot of other ceramic artists that do that. But for me, I always liked to see how things were made. And so a big part of our aesthetic is that honesty. Um, and I think that you could argue that there's a brutalist uh, influence behind our pieces. I think that our pieces are architectural. Um, a lot of people will say that they're mid-century influenced, and I think that's a big part of Kevin because his aesthetic, though it's contemporary, um, has a lot of influence from the scale of mid-century. I'm trying to expand beyond with every collection. I'm trying to push it a little more. Um, I want there to be some like anonymity within the aesthetic so that a piece can work in any type of environment and so that any customer or designer can find something that speaks to them. Uh, so, you know, like the Mithe Espel inspired pieces that we did for ICFF for that collection. We used um, gold glazes and made these very like patterned, carved looking mirrors. And uh, I think it's a big departure from, you know, our origin aesthetic, but it was really fun to do. And, you know, J.B. Blanc is a big influence lately. His work is really um, uh, is in the back of my mind. And he was a sculptor, a builder, and ceramic artist. And his influence was, you know, from Japan. So you know, the, the pieces that we worked on for that collection, we wanted to feel more wabi-sabi, as if they were made on a wheel, but kind of got knocked off center. Um, and so we're just trying to push it. Um, 
and and that's been important. You know, Kevin and I are partners in this, and I think that our pieces initially, you know, were very influenced by his eye, in particular his scale. He's got a really beautiful understanding of scale. Um, but, you know, as a, a collective within our partnership of interior design and product design, I want to, you know, we both want to make sure that it doesn't feel particular to his aesthetic either, if that makes sense. So when you look back on this journey from the time you, you two took a class <laughs> to where you're at now, what are you surprised by? It's like, wow. I'm surprised that we did it. I don't know. It's, to be honest with you, if I'm honest with myself, I always thought this would be a side business. It would be a self like self-preserving outlet hobby. Um, I think I'm surprised at the amount of stuff the studios accumulated. <laughs> um, but I, I think what's most surprising is that we've been so well received within the industry and I still feel like we're at the start of it. Um, you know, it, in reality, this has only been a full-time business for two years. Um, you know, we've doubled in size every year since we really started. Um, and yeah, I think what it, it's... Especially yeah, starting a business during the pandemic and continuing yeah. to grow. I mean, most were on the opposite side of that, of yeah. closing down. So it's a tremendous and congratulations to you for succeeding that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it it was really surprising. I The pandemic was, you know, obviously it was tragic and terrifying. And there are aspects of it that still are. Um, but the, the fact that we had this place to come to Litchfield, we had the house, we had the studio and we had nothing else to do. <laughs> um, it, it, it was really a labor of love and it continues to be. And I think like to really answer your question, what is most surprising to me is that I'm, we are able to do something that I'm still excited about every day. And I am excited to grow every day. Uh, do you educate yourself continuously? Are you taking classes and expanding your knowledge? I would love to. Um, I think that um, what working with Clay 
is a daily education. It's, a, it's an education in chemistry, uh, psychology. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it, I think we're learning something every day, but I think that there's definitely aspects of it. I want to focus on more on my education. Um, been recently looking into like the possibility of doing some like short residencies somewhere that I can learn another aspect of it. Um, but for the meantime, in the meantime, we're just trying to <laughs> perfect what we know um, and, and kind of bring in tangible lessons that can help us grow. Given that you're a busy man running a business and doing all other aspects of uh, the studio, do you ever get time just to throw down some clay still? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, sometimes we will invite friends over to the studio and just make something together. Um, and there's definitely moments where I will come in on a Saturday morning early and just kind of putter around. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when I get an idea in my head and it's something that I want to think on, I often just find myself making it over the weekend or, or in some time that I have. Um, but that's the, the funny part about that is sometimes those little personal projects end up becoming aligned. So, you know, which is a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing, but, uh, there's definitely like a rolling list in my head of things that I just want to kind of work on. And I think this year or two, I might get a wheel for the studio and just kind of have that as like a meditative, well, as I mentioned, I'm not really meditative, but <laughs> so it might be that it might be good. Um, well, Charlie, do you have any uh, closing comments you'd like to share with us? Any closing comments? Um, I guess I think take a class with your partner. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, my, one of my best friends gave me some advice years ago. Um, a lot of friends had told me that I should start my own lighting design firm. And I just, I guess I knew then that that was a career, but it wasn't what I loved and doing and where my passion was, my true passion. And it took a while to figure out what my true passion was. So I think any, my, 
a right, closing comment would be, you know, it's okay to take time to find what it is that you really love doing. And that doesn't mean that whatever steps led you there are not meaningful in their own right. Um, and back to my best friend, Mario, he told me that you have to you have to take chances that make you uncomfortable. Because if you live within this constant state of what you think comfort is, you're never going to find that thing that you really truly feel truly passionate about. Um, and so it took me, he said that to me, for like 15 years. <laughs> Um, and you know, I think it's, yeah, it's really just that it, uh, you know, you can have a new career at any point in your life. Um, and you know, sometimes it just takes time. So one last question I have for you, <clears throat> what is the essence of Dume made? What is the essence of Dume made? Um, I think that the essence of what we do is, is that we, you know, we, the essence of our pieces, the essence of what we do is that they're, that it, it's about embracing, our pieces are about embracing the imperfections, um, and creating something that is tactile and beautiful, but may not be something that is immediately a showstopper. I think that there's the essence of what we do is that there's a subtlety in our work that reveals itself over time. And my hope is that our pieces become classic heirlooms, something that you feel, the, the, the end user feels a personal connection to, because I think that ultimately this is super personal to Kevin and me. Um, this is, you know, born out of our love for each other, for design, for home. And, and I think that that's how we feel about them. So it's a legacy. Yeah. That's our legacy really right now. <laughs> Well, Charlie, thank you for taking the time today to come on our show. I truly appreciate it. It's been a pleasure meeting you and having you here you with too. us. And uh, I wish you the best of luck for many, many years to come. All right. Thank you. Thank you so I appreciate much. appreciate it. This Absolutely. Was so fun.